uh, on. Look at that. Hallelujah. We, uh, we're transitioning at the moment, as you can see. And uh, we're going from a, a movable pulpit to a music stand. And maybe in a few weeks' time, we might have a new pulpit there. What do you reckon? That'd be awesome. Hallelujah. So um, before we get into it, <clears throat> um, just want to say congratulations to any Thongans in the house or uh, any Papua New Guineans in the house for winning the footy yesterday, the uh, Pacific Tests, and uh, it looks like none of you are here. Oh well, my commiserations then go to our Fijians in the house and uh, <laughs> and uh, any wannabe Samoans in the house and... Um, Commiserations to you guys, and also to our Queenslanders. Um, bad luck tonight; you're going to lose. <laughs> so, our commiserations to you guys. And anyway, it doesn't matter. The Blues have already won on Friday night. The ladies got up um, in a nice tight one as well. So, fantastic for all the footy fans out there. What a great time of year! A bit of rep football happening, and uh, you know, it's always fun to have a bit of banter and a good bit of banter with one another within our our national rivalries. Amen. You know, but when we all come together, when we come together in church, it's actually really good to be one in Christ. It's really good to bring all of our differences and leave them outside and leave them actually behind us completely and all embrace Jesus. Amen. Which is what we're here to do. So let's pray this morning. We're going to get into our word very quickly, but let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today and we praise you, Lord God, that you are in the house, that you're here by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just declare a spirit of innocence over our house today. Thank you, Jesus. Let us engage with you. Let us be transformed by your presence, Holy Spirit. For we worship you today, Lord, and we want to be opened up to you today. So, Lord, we pray, move into our hearts. Bring the word and let it transform us. And let it renew our minds, Lord, that we can continually seek after you. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said in one voice. Amen. Amen. Thanks, um, Joe. If we can have the PowerPoint up, that'd be fantastic. So welcome, everyone. Week four, we're, we're uh, getting into the back half of our series called Driven by Eternity. Week four out of a six-week series, which means, fantastically, we have three messages to get through. This week, next week, and the last week, which will be, yeah, let me work it out, it's something like the 7th of July or something. Remember I said a couple of weeks ago that we would do the... Um, in the afternoon after the last service, we would go through the, the CD um, audios of uh, Affabel. Yeah? How about we do that on the very last week? So if you've got your diaries, you can put that in there. Um, so that's not next week. It'll be the week after, that Sunday afternoon. Um, straight after church, after we've had lunch, about probably about 1 o'clock, we can all be open and willing to be a part of it and uh, just come and listen and, and allow that to transform through the analogy of of that story but again we're in this driven by eternity time and we've had some pretty awesome uh, challenges to us they've been challenges i reckon you think they've been challenges oh no one's been challenged <sighs> someone got an amen all right very good what about pastor jamie last week he challenged us a little bit i'm sure um i remember this is what we've sort of been looking at is this sense that i'm going to live a christ-filled life 
to the fullest now so I can live an even fuller life then? Is that what we're being driven for at the moment? Are we being driven by our own selfish desires, our own fleshly desires? Are we being driven by what we think is right? Or are we looking to God? Are we looking to an eternity? And I did that again last week. Are we looking for an eternity that is full of peace, full of grace, full of joy, full of expectation? Are we, are we looking to be more like Jesus here and now so that we can have an even fuller life then? I think that's what we're aiming for. Amen. So Pastor Jamie last week, he shared very, very effectively around this whole area of the fear of the Lord. Do you remember? Yeah, that the fear of the Lord is is uh, what would help us and continue. It's the second side of the coin. If we've got the side of the coin of grace, we've also got the second side of that, which is the fear of the Lord. And both are as equally as important. But we find that in the Western churches, what's actually been emphasized so much so in the last probably eight or ten years has been the grace of God. Rightly so, because the grace of God was lost. If you go back to Christianity back in the 80s and 90s, you might remember that it was the fear of God that was actually really, really strongly taught. This fear of God that was in people's lives. And, you know, they were getting out and they were telling people of the condemnation that was going to be upon them and the hell that they were going to be facing. And therefore, then we've done this flip over the other side where we've gone into this almost hyper grace, this extension of grace. But let me tell you that God is all about grace and truth. He wants the fullness of his truth preached. Amen. So it's not just about grace and it's not just about the fear of God. They both need to be held in tension. Do you understand what that means? Have we got anyone awake this morning? Yeah. Is it too cold in here or something? I heard a couple of yeses. Sorry, we ran out of gas. We didn't pay our gas bill. No, that's not right. We just ran out. All right. So the bottle needs to be filled this week. So you'll be fine next week. God's going to warm the house up just with his own presence. Amen. Are you expecting that? Come on. Very good. So Jamie shared on these four points. and I just He actually shared on five, but there's four that I want to really just highlight to remind you of what he was saying last week. Everything we hide now will be revealed then. Is that one of the things that he said? Now that's a scary thought, isn't it? If we're hiding things from God. You know, John actually talks about that we need to bring everything out into the light. For that which is in the darkness will be exposed on that day. The second thing he sort of said was that if we fear coming to God, it is because we have something to hide or to lose. Isn't that that interesting? God is loving. God is kind. God has presented his son upon the cross. He has accepted his sacrifice for us. But yet we fear to come to him because we've got something we're going to lose or something that we want to hide from him. That is the exact same lie that was believed by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You say amen to that. They were fearful that they were going to lose something. And what they ended up losing was their their place with God, their, their open audience, as you like, with God. God has an open door for you. You cannot fear coming to him. The fear of the Lord actually is this fear of being without God. If we actually fear God, we shouldn't tremble away from him. We should be trembling in his presence. Because it will be a fear of not having him in our life. So let me say, if you're fearing at the moment coming before God, maybe what you need is an encounter with repentance. The fear of the Lord is the third one that keeps us consistently obedient and free from sin. It is the grace of God that sets us free. It is the grace and the encouragement and the power of God to keep us walking free, but it's the fear of God in our own minds that gets us to overcome the flesh. 
We have to have the fear of God to be able to to, to, uh, to be able to uh, turn on or activate the grace of God in our life. Fourthly, if we lack the fear of the Lord, then we will present an unbalanced gospel. And I thought that was a really important one that Jamie has learnt through the reading of this book. And uh, he shared a little bit on that. And if you really want to understand a little bit more about that, let me say, why don't you book maybe half an hour, an hour of his time, take him out for a cup of coffee and let him share the experience that he's been on in this last month, month and a half as the Lord's talked to him and shown him some things. It might just help you transform your perspective on sharing the gospel as well. You do that. He's a strapping young man. He likes a coffee and you know he likes a free coffee even more. And um, <laughs> you're more than welcome to give him a ring and say, hey, how about we go and have that coffee that Pastor C promised me you'd have with me? And, um, you know, but just be prepared because it will probably turn into coffee and food. That's Jamie. All right. <laughs> All good, brother. <clears throat> so if you went home last week and you were challenged by the word, that's a really good thing. Um, a couple of stories came out this week that people were starting to question um, whether or not they were saved. Now let me say those people were saved. They are saved. They're completely saved, baptized. They gave their heart, hearts completely to Jesus. But sometimes when we go through those times of, uh, am I genuinely saved? Am I, am, I, am, I, am, I, am I right before a holy God? That's sometimes the fear of the Lord operating in your life. Because... The last thing you want to do is just have this confidence that we can walk in this hyper grace that everything we do is perfect because it's not. We make decisions all the time that are wrong, don't we? You know. So the fear of the Lord, it actually causes us to get down on our knees and get before God and say, God, what is not right in my life? And the fear of the Lord causes us to come before God. And let me say, if you're asking those questions and you come to this confidence that you know you're completely saved, the fear of the Lord is doing its work in your life. That's the whole point of it. When we humble ourselves and approach his throne of grace, we receive grace to overcome. And I hear amen to that. So if you enjoyed the last three weeks, can I say the next three are going to be awesome as well? Probably we've been building up to these last three weeks in a sense. And we're going to start to look at our life. We've been looking at since we've been looking at eternity. And we've been looking at the judgment, or I suppose the eternal home of the condemned. And then last week we looked at the fear of the Lord and how it really affects our lives. This week we're going to look at uh, something called the judgment seat of Christ. But we're going to get into a slight preface or an introduction before that. And uh, because, you know, we can't preach this whole book to its entirety. Is that right? And we're not aiming to, although it is partly guiding what we're doing. This week I am sort of sharing directly from the chapter um, because the chapter is is quite brilliant but if you want to know more or you want to get hold of the book why don't you pop down and see helena down at four rivers bookshop and order one um, she'd be happy to get one in for you if she hasn't already got one there and um, you know support a local business amen very good i got i was like a puppy then did you see that i saw the ball and i was just like i was fixated on that very good that's awesome i'm going to take this off because i know i'm going to get hot if anyone's cold who wants a jacket it's hot, I'm telling you. Nice and warm. Um, hey, no, that's enough. Anyway, <clears throat> where are we going? So two weeks ago, we looked at the dead. We looked at Hades. We looked at the lake of fire. Now we want to discuss a way of introduction, the passing of the righteous. This is just in introducing to bring some context 
to the last couple of weeks and now what it's going to be like for us. The present home of the believer who passes, we refer to as heaven, don't we? And uh, if you look at it scripturally, the actual place is called the heavenly Jerusalem. All right, The final home of the righteous will be called Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem, the, the Jerusalem that comes down with the new earth, uh, but located right here on earth. It's a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jeru- holy city called Jerusalem. Revelation 21 tells us that this city will come down to earth. But if you look with me at the scriptures in Hebrews chapter uh, 12 and verse 22, it says this. This is what discussing the heavenly Jerusalem. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. Everyone say Abel. Yeah, that's pretty cool. The blood of Abel. Do you remember the story of the blood of Abel? It cried out for mercy. It cried out for justice. It cried out that this sense that his his death would be avenged. Uh, but yet the, the blood of Jesus cries out for something more. You know what that is? The blood of Jesus cries out for all of humanity. You see, it is complete. It is eternal. It is the very effect of God's grace. It's found in the blood of Christ. Amen. So we see seven things in this passage of Scripture, and I'll throw them up there really quickly for you. These are the seven things that this passage of Scripture have for us to learn. That first of all, in the heavenly city or the heavenly Jerusalem, we see an innumerable company of angels. That's sort of almost like this word eternity. You know, if you can if you can think of infinity and eternity, you can then think of a little bit around innumerable. The uncountable number of angels, it means there's a lot, yeah? The general assembly, which is the Old Testament saints who gave, who have gone on before us. And who knows that when Jesus died, I think it's Matthew's gospel talks about that Jesus went into the depths, went into the grave, and he released those who were held captive. We're thinking that we believe that what that was, was he released those who were in the bosom of Abraham. You know, we shared about Abraham and Lazarus and, and, and the, the, the poor man who was in, we, we believe what happens there where Jesus released the, released those that the, that the grave had a hold of and they went with him after walking around Jerusalem. The Bible says they went with him as he ascended and they are now there in the presence of God. The church of the firstborn is those who have gone on to their rewarding God. The, the spirits of men made perfect. Um, we'll discuss that one really shortly, but I shared a little bit slightly of this this morning with those in prayer who were there early. If you weren't here early, you missed out. Um, but anyway, then six, number six, um, Jesus is there. Oh, we missed one. Number four, God. Can't forget God is there. Amen. Isn't that important? Number six, Jesus is there. And number seven, the blood of Jesus, which speaks better things than the blood of Abel. But this, this whole one, this whole number five, this spirit's of men made perfect, it sort of confuses people. It confuses those people um, who, who, are, who are looking into the, uh, the Scriptures and, and writing, I suppose, um, theologically what we believe and help, help us to understand what's written. It kind of confuses them because 
Really, you can't necessarily understand it unless you understand this concept that we're called to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. What it means is that you and I, as Ephesians says, are seated in heavenly places with God right now. Amen? What Paul declares is that we're seated in heavenly places with God right now. It's a, it's a literal um, translation that we are, in our spirits, have, an, have already attained a place with God, not by our own er- efforts, but by Christ in us. And it's the spirit of men made perfect is the spirit of you and I. We have a constant uh, availability that we can stand before God and speak to him or worship him or praise him. And we can do so because we're found in Christ. Amen. So the spirits there, a message in this passage is your spirit that is before God right now. Amen. We're always praying, God, come, would you come, would you come? Sometimes we've actually got to attune ourselves to realize that we're already in his presence. And that's why we come together at worship time. That's why we come together corporately is so that we can uh, be as one before God in his presence. Amen. And it sort of, it transcends in a sense the natural realm and we, we sense his presence and we sense that he's working in our, in our lives and on our behalf as we partner with him in the kingdom of God. Amen. You're all confused anyway. The spirits of men made perfect, let me suggest, are those like you and I who are there before him now. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. It wouldn't be written in Hebrews if we couldn't do it. Amen? It's not a thought process. It's a reality. It's... As I accept Christ and as my salvation is secure in him, the very truth that my nature is part of him, the very truth is also the same that I am in his presence before him. You can't have one without the other. You can't, uh, you can't be told to approach a throne of grace if you cannot actually approach it. It would be an impossibility. So therefore we see within scripture that it is possible. Amen? John Bevere writes this in the book, Because our spirits have been created in the image of God and we have been born again, we have the ability through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to go into the throne room of God any time we have need or desire to worship. Before we get into the judgment seat of Christ, I just want to talk about heaven in a sense because next week we're going to talk about it a little bit more. But I just want to give you this chance to see there's a testimony here, as we can watch, um, that I found very encouraging. Can we take some volume you know, on that? One of my dear, dear friends I've known for years and years, he's a great, great pastor, and he was an, uh, on the Los Angeles Police Department, and his first night in ministry was October of 1979. He came into his home, and there was death everywhere. And there was his wife in the corner of the staircase, just, just weeping and sobbing. Well, it turns out their 10-year-old son was watching Monday Night Football and accidentally, and they didn't realize it, pulled the little portable TV into the bathtub. He was dead. When my friend found him, he said, you know, I was LAPD. If I would have found your son that way, I would have pronounced him dead and called the coroner. But he started praying. And finally, the paramedics got there, and for 45 minutes, the EKG line was just a straight line. And Tom wouldn't give up. He just kept praying. And finally, he just said after 45 minutes, God, I don't have the faith, but there's another faith, the gift of faith in 1 Corinthians chapter 
14, I need that faith. And he said something hit the top of his head, and when it hit right about here, he said, you live, you will live and not die. And all of a sudden, the heart fight beat started going beep, 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 beep. They rushed him down. His flesh had gone from pain, uh, from what, what is it? Anyway, he, his eyes were di- redilated, everything. They got him to the hospital. He thought, wow, what a miracle. But the doctors pulled him into a room and said, your son, if he survives, will have a .01 IQ. Because basically he had a meltdown. There was kidney, uh, there was kidney uh, material in the catheter or whatever. He, he just, his body had a meltdown. Seven months his son was in a coma. Seven months after praying, playing worship music, his, he opened his eyes. And my friend looked at him and said, what's your name? He said it. He said, what's my name? What's our phone number? What's our phone number? And he started ripping it all off. This young man ended up graduating as the president of his high school class. He ended up graduating with a 4.0 at UCLA and went to a Bible school. But the thing that was so interesting, when he came back, he told his dad, he said, Dad, when the TV hit the water, I never felt a thing. He said, an angel grabbed my right arm and pulled me right out of my body. He said, we went through this tunnel at the most accelerated rate, and he said, my feet landed literally on a street made of pure gold. He said, it wasn't a golden street, Dad. It was pure gold. He said, it was a massive city. It was beautiful. He said there was construction going on. He said there was all the people from our family that had gone on, or friends that had gone on who knew the Lord, that were there to meet me when my feet landed on the street. There was wrestling, and all of a sudden the crowd parted, and here comes Jesus. And he said, Jesus gave me a tour of heaven. And he said, Dad, I actually saw some of our mansions, and they weren't finished. And he said, I asked Jesus about it. And he said, for every act of obedience, that your parents are doing towards me on the earth. They add another section into their mansion. And so then Jesus opened up a curtain. It looked like a curtain and said, you have to go back. Your dad is calling you back. And he said, but I've called you to be a preacher. And so he came back and he is now married with a couple kids. But anyway, heaven is a real place. Just as hell is a real place. It's a very, very real place. People that have gone there that I know say there are colors in heaven that we don't even have on earth. I'm so glad because I am color challenged. Some people call it colored blindness. I won't confess that all the way. But anyway, um, you know, there are flowers. The flowers are gorgeous. They're flowers like we don't have on the earth. They say when you walk on the grass, it literally springs back up. Everything is living in heaven. You literally can walk underwater in heaven. It's so many amazing, amazing things that I have heard from friends who have gone there and come back or people have written about it. I absolutely love the subject. But anyway. Hmm. Interesting, eh? Um, and I know there's some people here that have got interest that have got an interest in looking at these stories of people who have been and gone and come back again. But there's a few things in there that we could talk about, but one I want to highlight just as I was over there was that one of the time period, the seven months. What's the importance of that seven months? We have no idea. Except that God's timing is perfect. Amen? And the moments that that boy had with Jesus in heaven, we can see how long it was for us here on our earth. And when we think about that, this is where we have to start drawing our strength and our courage from. Because many of us have had the expectation for Pastor Rodney that he's going to just get up and walk. We've been praying that we're going to believe that he's going to be healed. Now we know that he's going to be healed, but he's going to be healed in God's timing, which means what we need to do is start declaring God's word over his life. What we need to start doing is start praising God for his healing of power and his authority in that realm. And we know that we need to keep reading the word and keep worshiping God for what he's doing. And we know that he will get up, no matter how long it is. Amen? We've got to keep hanging on to those things. And that's something that that young man, that young boy's dad, was hanging on to in faith and he saw his son come back completely healed 
you know, from from the doctor's pronouncement that he would be um, less than a vegetable, he he became um, completely coherent and well. So praise God for that. So heaven is real, and uh, and I think I think it's really important to state that because many in our time have thought and gone on to think that heaven is no longer real or heaven and hell is just a place and they're not there as mentioned. Well, we really need to see that it's a real place. Amen? Come on. So let's get into this judgment seat of Christ and uh, I think it should move on if I turn this on. So the judgment seat of Christ and we're still looking at this concept that we want to make our life count today and forever. But this word, Romans 14, verses 10 and verses 12, I've just cut 11 out, uh, 13 out of there, just, no, 11 out of there, just because it makes it easier. Um, Romans 14. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In verse, the last verse 12 there. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Yeah, it's chapter 14, verse 10, and chapter 14, verse 12. Missed, don't worry about that little 14 there. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, heaven being as nice as it is, heaven being a perfect place, means that God needs to keep it that way. You see? And God wants to therefore make sure that those who come in, come in on the right basis. They don't come in upon the wrong facts. He wants us to understand that he's trying to uh, empower us now so that we can be um, appropriated correctly in this area when we approach the judgment seat of Christ. We've got to understand, as we've said over the last two weeks, there is going to be a judgment, the great, great white throne judgment, where God separates the sheep from the goats. Those who aren't called by his name or who have never called on his name, they will go. They will be judged eternally into an eternal punishment. Those of us who call upon the name of the Lord, those of us who, who put our faith wholly in him to save us and to set us free, we know that we will be saved from that judgment. Okay, that's the great white throne judgment. Then we come to this place. It's the judgment seat of Christ. And we need to get an understanding about this to understand it. Second Corinthians 5.18 says, Why is this playing up on me? Second Corinthians 5.18 Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Who's been discouraged and has felt that they need to be you know, released from this life and be rather be at home with Jesus. We've felt that at times, haven't we? You know, if you're honest, it, sometimes you think it would be easier to be at home with the Lord. But Paul actually writes, we are of good courage, but yet we'd still rather be away from this body and at home with God. No matter if things are going right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It would still be better in the presence of God. Amen? Okay, so... But let me tell you, you can see from this passage that he's not addressing people who are not believers. He's actually talking to those who will be with the Lord upon passing. He's not talking to those who will, who will miss out on this. He's talking to you and I. We've got to establish this. He's talking to the church here. Verse 9 says this, Whether we are at home or away, 
we make it our aim to please him. Who are we aiming to please? Jesus, absolutely. We're not aiming to please ourselves. We're not aiming to please our mother. We're aiming to please Jesus, okay? And and that is to be um, our goal. Amen? If you're a Christian following Jesus and you want to live a life that has eternal purpose, your goal must be to please him. How do, you, how, do I, how do I make this relevant for us to understand? If you're a parent, and if you're going to be a parent, this is good advice for you. If you're a parent, you should sit your children down and you should have a really interesting talk with them. You should tell them this. You should say, son or daughter, there is nothing that you could ever do to make me love you more and there's nothing you could ever do to make me love you less. Is that right? Because the unconditional love of a parent is exactly that. There's nothing that someone could do that I would love them more. And there's nothing that they could do that would cause me to love them less. Okay? But the other side of that coin is this very point that you should also have this conversation. And probably at the same time, you might not be in charge of how much I love you, but you are in charge of how much, how pleased I am with you. You can actually contribute to how pleased I am or how disappointed I am as a parent. Is that right? It doesn't affect the love. It affects my pleasure in you as a father or as a mother. And what that does is it helps our kids understand what? the responsibility on their life to grow up and to grow into a, a good citizen, to grow up into a good um, a student of the word and all those sorts of things. So no matter what you do, you can't lose the favor and love of God. But his pleasure will go up and down with however you treat him. If you have disdain for the word, he will not be pleased in that area and you will miss so many truths in your life because you haven't hidden the word in your heart. Yeah, You could be going out and trying to do what you think is right, that God has called you to do, knowing actually that you're missing the mark because you're not being obedient following God's plan for your life. You hear some people say we go out with a scattergun effect, you know, like a shotgun, but God actually wants to hone us like a, a skilled archer or a sniper so that we hit the target with one shot. Okay, God's level of pleasure in you is actually our responsibility. Okay, His love will never change. And that's where the fear of the Lord kicks in. Because I am responsible for how pleased God is with me. His pleasure is always in Christ in me. I get that. He's always pleased with Jesus in me. That's at a salvation level. But when it comes to the judgment seat of Jesus, he's pleased with what I do with the gift of grace that's upon my life. And I am rewarded for such. Let us get into that. God is a good father, is he not? He doesn't spoil us as some might have us think, but he leaves us with the responsibility so that we don't become entitled. Okay? Verse 10 of the same passage of 2 Corinthians 5 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's all of us. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, there's that word, the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. 
And I hope it is known also to your conscience. Because each of us must stand before what? The judgment seat of Christ. And what I see happens around in churches, I've been around long enough and I've partaken in it long enough in my life so I know that it's wrong, is what actually happens is a brother or a sister gets around someone else to encourage and exhort and build up and sometimes to bring a reproof to them because they can see the error of their ways. And that person, because they're walking in their own self, they reject what that person's saying and they say, you have no right to judge me. They get offended and guess what happens? They leave church. That's the, that's, that's one of the issues that can happen in church because of offense. But you've got to understand that Paul actually encourages us here, right there. We persuade others. You're not living according to what God has purposed for your life. You're going to miss out on something. It's not just right that you come to church and don't apply what God's saying to your life. So we persuade others that you have to engage with this concept of the fear of God so that you would outwork God's call on your life. Each and every one of us are called to fulfill a purpose in God. I can't fulfill your call and you can't fulfill mine. We have to come to this place. This judgment seat, if you look at it in the Greek, is the word um, bema. It is a, if you, if you look at that word, it's called the beamer seat of Christ or, or the word is the judgment seat itself. It's a raised platform mounted by steps and normally furnished with a seat used by officials in addressing an assembly, often on judicial matters. So you're going to be appearing before God as Jesus sits upon the beamer seat. You're actually going to be sitting before him like the judge of your life. Yes, he's pleased with what you've done with him and you are saved, but you're going to be judged on the merits of the pleasure that you've caused with what you've done with the gifts and talents that he's given to you. That's a real wake-up call for us. It's not just on judicial matters. Well, it is on, it's on judicial matters. But this is the concept, if we want to understand it, is the same seat that Pilate sat on when he brought the judgment upon Jesus to death. That's the word beamer. He sat upon the beamer and he brought pronounced a judgment. Even though he didn't declare his own judgment on them, he found him according to the people that he must be put to death. It's the same place. That's the concept. And remember from our first week that a judgment equals a decision, whether it's for or against, resulting from an investigation of our judgment and our decisions we have to understand they will be eternal. There will be an investigation of your life. Many have said of how the the the, the whole context, the whole the whole format of our life, the whole um, ins and outs, that which is hidden in the dark will be exposed before God. It will be exposed before you. And I know that if we don't have a right account with God and if we don't bring it into full submission and if we don't walk in accordance to his repentant ways that he's called us to walk, I know that we will be embarrassed for those things because you will not just be standing before Jesus, you'll be standing before a whole great throne and a room filled with those who have gone before us. And every deep and dark secret of your life will be exposed. Which is why it's so important to get them out here now before a God who will forgive you for them. 
you and I will all stand before the beamer seat of Jesus. You would have seen a video on Facebook this week um, put up by VAR, um, Francis Chan, and I mentioned it in the first week that we started this story. And I think it's a great video talking about the zero time that we live in right now. James writes this. You can go back to Facebook on LifeSource and check it out if you like. That's easy. James writes this in James 4.14. What is your life? Is it even a vapor? You're like a puff of wind. It's gone. Here for a moment and gone. James writes, what is your life? Is it even a vapor? Bavir gives us this example in the book and he says, if James is writing that today, for the mathematicians out there, James would actually write, what is your life? Is it even zero? Because we understand this context that um, zero, let me get this right so I don't miss it up because I'm not a mathematician. Any finite number divided by infinity equals zero. That's the context of the math. So you can take the number 85 and multiply it by infinity and your answer will be zero. 85 being the life, your life's expectancy, 85 years. You can take 85 years, multiply it by infinity and your answer will be zero. You can take any finite number. So you can multiply 10 by infinity or 10 by eternity and you will always get zero. Does that make sense? It's a un divide, sorry. Did I say divide first? Yes, thank you. Divided by zero, eternity, and you'll always get zero. Thanks, James. So let me take this one step further. In the first week I said, if you had 24 hours to do something that you were going to be marked on, you had 24 hours to determine where you were going to spend the next 100 years of your life, what would you do in that 24-hour period? You would see that that 24-hour period would be the most important moment of your life because you know that how you're going to spend the next 100 years, your view from your house, the kind of house you live in, the car you drive, the job you get, what you are overseeing, the role you have in your church, everything that you have is going to be marked upon that 24-hour period of time for the next hundred years, you'd understand the concept and you would put a lot of effort into that 24 hours. Is that right? Absolutely you would. Absolutely you would. Because if you did nothing with it, you would be on the, you would be um, 100 miles from everywhere. You'd have to walk because you wouldn't have a car and you'd live in a little shanty. Yeah? Imagine that. But you can get that concept. So if you multiply 100, multiply 100 by 365, you get what? Who's the maths people here? 36,500? So 36,500 days you're going to have spending in that shanty, walking 100 miles, having to meet with people in town every day, and then having to walk back home. Your life would be pretty boring, wouldn't it? But that doesn't equate to our concept and our mind understanding zero. It doesn't understand this concept of eternity. You see, because it still equals zero. But if you take it by a thousand and multiply it, you can say, well, hang on, the next time I'm going to spend a thousand years, that's a long time walking a hundred miles to get to the place that I need to be to walk a hundred miles to go back again. 
But if you then multiply that by a million, which we don't have any reference for, because humans haven't been around, creation hasn't been around for that long, if we multiply it by a million years, we still end up with that million years being a zero portion of time compared to the eternity that we're going to spend after the judgment of what we receive within our rewards. Does that make sense? So, so if, if what I did in this zero portion of time, which is the expanse of my entire life here on earth, I'm going to be judged for that. And what I do right now and how I live for Jesus right now is going to determine how I spend my reward in eternity. Let me tell you, that's a very sobering thought. And I want to do the right thing by God and pursue his heart and his will for my life. Do you understand that concept? That if we can understand it in in a hundred years, then we need to understand it in this zero portion of time, what we do with our life, every moment of our life from now on. What we do with it must be about driven for the eternal purpose and not for my comfort here and now. I really need to get moving. Paul says it this way in such an urgency. Um, I'll say it, better put this up there for you. What we do at the cross determines where we will spend eternity. Amen? What we do with Jesus in the cross determines where we'll spend it. What we do with our lives will determine how we spend it. The pleasure that God has in your life because of your obedience toward him is, will determine how you spend it. All right? Um, Paul, I think this is why he has this such an urgency when he's talking about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He writes, Don't, be, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified he's not talking about his salvation he's talking about the reward of which he would would earn of how he spends his eternal life you see he doesn't want to be disqualified and he's urging the church you need to understand your portion you need to understand what you're called to do that's why we come together as a church because it's not about building you up it's actually about how you can contribute to the life and the body of the church he talks about that in the same in the same area of Corinthians that we are all one and that you not attending church means that someone misses out on what God's called you to do for that day and that purpose. And that's real. You're not attending to where God asks you to go. You're not driving down that street where you can see that person who's walking on a limp and you can get out of your car and go and pray for them and see them healed. That person's going to miss out if you don't stand up and say, you know what, I'm driven by eternity and not driven by my own selfish desires. You see, I know we shouldn't be looking at just the reward, but let me tell you, it's written all throughout the scriptures that we will receive a reward for what we do here and now. John if you want out of the mouth of two, then the Apostle John says it like this. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. 
Now, if there's a full reward, then we've got to understand there's a partial reward and there's a no reward scenario. If there's a full reward, there's a partial reward and a no reward scenario. I don't want to be in the no reward scenario. I think most of us are going to come into this context where we're where we're closer to the full reward, but we will see things in our own flesh that we've done in our own thinking and in our own um, attempts to please God. We will see them burn up. Okay, That's why it's not about works. It's about living by grace. It's about understanding His desire and His journey for your life. So we will see things before the throne room burn up and we will suffer an amount of loss because we're not perfect. But we've got to learn to understand that we're going to work in the context of the kingdom to see that we're going to receive a full reward. There's a full reward, a partial reward, and a no reward scenario. And as good parents, we don't reward our kids without them at least earning something. Yeah, t- Today's day is really, really discouraging because every child that plays in a sport or goes and does an event receives a participation award. I don't like that concept. Yeah, I don't mind seeing a gold, a bronze, and a silver award given, but I don't like the context that everybody should receive a reward because the child who didn't put in any effort, they are told that they don't have to do anything in their life to overcome, that, that life's just going to come to them on a golden platter and everything's going to be sweet. Life is not like that and eternity is not like that. We can't communicate this. We've got to actually understand that if we want to do it properly, then we need to see that God leaves an element for us to be to remain pleasing before Him, or else we wouldn't have this concept of free will. See, I've got free will. I can choose whatever I want to do. Now I know within the context, I'm never going to walk away from God, but I get to choose whether I'm going to be obedient to Him or not. If I'm obedient to Him, guess what I've done? I've earned myself. In this context that we're talking about, I've earned myself a full reward. If I'm disobedient and I don't do it, then I will suffer loss. I hope that is clear. I need to finish up. I've got so much more to give you guys, but I need to finish up. Where do we go, Lord? How do I bring this to a wrap for you guys so that we can understand and we get the most out of this? Maybe with a story. If you can consider this. In the natural, we understand the concept of building for a future. We understand, uh, thankfully in Australia, what it is to have superannuation. The government legislates that we've got to put a certain amount of money aside um, by by our employers to build for our future. We understand that concept well. We're building for a future of retirement. Sadly, those in my age bracket are not going to have the wealth that some of you guys have got and um, and some of you guys aren't going to have some of the wealth that some of the others in our age bracket will. It's sort of, it's not a fair system, but we understand the concept. We also understand in Australia a really good social security concept, don't we? That when you work your entire life, you get to the age of, sadly now nearly 70 years old for some of us, that you can retire and receive an age pension. We understand that, don't we? We also understand that we are worth 
what we we earn. So if we work a good day's way, a good day's work, we should get a good day's wage. We understand those concepts, and those of us who are able to budget, we try and put money aside for the future, whether it be a rainy day or we put it aside for um, buying a nice caravan we can travel around Australia when we retire. We understand this concept. We're building for a future, building for a, a retirement where we've worked so hard that we can have now rest time and we don't have to worry about our income. A scenario, what if... The day you retire, you get to 70 years old. And the day you retire, the superannuation company that has your super goes bankrupt. Think about that. You could have $250,000 in that bank account, in that superannuation account that you will no longer have. That's wiped off of your account. Add to that scenario that the bank that you've just put $50,000 worth of savings into over the last 20 years also goes bankrupt because of a global financial crisis and now you have no savings behind you at all. And because of the global financial and the mismanagement of our government, the age pension is gone. We don't have that happen in our country. But what if it did? You are now 70 years old, completely bankrupt. Your house has just dropped in half its value because of this financial part. You can't sell it because there's no one with any money. You've got no income. You've got no superannuation. You can't go back to work because they've already filled your position. What do you do? If we don't understand the concepts of how we provide for our future in this earth, how are we ever going to grasp the concept of how we provide what God wants in our eternity because that's what it's going to be like when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ 1 Corinthians 3 9 to 15 but we are all God's fellow workers you are God's field God's building according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it let each one take care how he builds upon it. The Paul's saying, I laid the foundation. The foundation was Jesus. You can't lay any other foundation but Jesus. But each one, are you part of each one? Let each one, put your hand up if you're part of each one. Let each one, he says. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that is the day, the day of judgment, the day you stand before the beamer seat, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The man or the woman who retires and everything is burned up, how do you think they survive? as one through the fire? 
You and I, on the day we stand before God, everything we do, whether it be in our name or his, will be tested by fire. It is about the heart motive of how you serve in obedience to God. What you do, whether you build according to wood, straw or hay, gold or silver or precious stone. Obedience in the fear of the Lord is about building with materials that will survive the test. I don't want to stand on that day knowing that I could have done more and seeing people's lives burned up. Seeing what they've done in the name of God is burned up because it was never God's call for your life. And next week we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I don't want to stand before God bankrupt. So I'm going to do everything in my power and in my calling and in what God's called me to do to encourage and exhort and build you up to live the life that God has called you to do. And let me say, that's how the work turns a nation upside down. That's how the church turns a nation upside down. When we catch the concept of eternity and that what we do is for the advancement of the kingdom of God, not just now, but for our eternity. See, like John Bevere said in that picture and as he was talking, there is construction still happening. Jesus is still building your house. He's still building that place that you... And what you do in this zero time is the important factor of where you will spend it and how you will spend it and how close to Jesus you will be and what role you will have in the kingdom. Whether, whether you will be like one of the chief advisors to Jesus or if you will be out working in the fields. It's all on you. It's all on me. What I do will be judged. What you do will be judged. And I think I want to invite our ushers to come and to share with us the communion right now. Because I think this leads right into what I know the Holy Spirit said to me this morning here in prayer. That right here, right now, there is a spirit of innocence available for you. What you do in this zero hour will be accredited to your life. It'll either be gain and reward or it will be lost. What you do with it right here, right now, is what you do with Jesus Christ. As the ushers come around, as you take the blood and you take the, the juice and you take the bread, let me encourage you. His blood was shed so that you would be set free from bondage and sin. If there is sin in your life and you know that you've been disobedient to God in any way, if there's something in your life right now that the Holy Spirit is just highlighted to you through this message and that you know that that is just wood or straw and you know that as you stand before God, that is going to be consumed in the fire of God and you are going to suffer loss, then right here at the foot of Jesus, in his presence of communion, you have a right as his son, to say, God, forgive me. You see, God wants a heart of repentance. And your heart, it might harden, it might say, what are you on about, Steve? I don't want any part of this, and I'm going to run as far as I can because it's not about reward. But let me say to you, God is calling you. It's not about reward. I have won your reward. It's in Jesus Christ, and it starts today. It starts as you say sorry. It starts as you um, you begin 
to allow my blood to wash over your life again. It comes as I set you free. And his promise is that you will hear his voice again. John 10 tells us that my sheep hear my voice. Jesus speaking as he is the good shepherd. He says you will hear his voice. Some of us have to come to this place and say, God, I'm sorry. What was the last thing you told me to do? I'm going to go and do it. So many people have been called to different things. They've been called to ministries. They've been called to nations. They've been called to whatever it is. They've been called to build churches. And they stand in those places seeing that God worked through someone else because they were not obedient to his call. Don't be that person. You see, if you're not hearing God clearly, it's because you haven't acted in obedience upon the last thing he told you to do. And some of us need to stand in his presence right now. Actually, I would invite all of us to. I prayed with everyone this morning that a spirit of innocence would fill this house. This is not about. This is not about me. This is about your relationship with God. This is about your calling. This is a a moment where you individually engage with God as a member of his family. You are called according to his name. You are called according to his purpose. He has placed his spirit within inside of you. He has given you the mind of Christ. He is the righteousness of Christ in you. He has set you free. But you must step into it in faith. So I'll just give you a moment. If you need to say sorry to God and you need to turn in your actions and what we would say is repent before God right now, you just take a moment with God. If, if there has been time where God, where you felt that you put God on the back burner, maybe you just need to, God, I come and I want to clean the slate. Maybe you need to confess of a very, a very a particular sin in your life. Let's just take that moment right now and say, God, that sin, I want to confess that. If it's something that's gripped your life, then you need to go and tell one of your trusted advisors, one of your trusted friends and say, I need to be, confessing this to you so that I can have freedom in this area. You see, God wants to set you free. He wants to speak to you. He wants to set you up with a purpose that only He has ever given you. He wants your your future to prosper in Him, but He can't do it if you're living in the flesh. And if you're living in the flesh, let me say, according to 1 Corinthians, it's going to be burnt up and you're going to suffer loss. God, right here, right now, we stand before you. We kneel before you and we say, Lord, have your way. We ask, Lord, that every sin that is being confessed right now, that the blood of Jesus would wash over every one of them and purge them. Lord, I pray that every every area that we have come under, our own personal judgment, we've listened to the voice of the devil or we've listened to the voice of a friend and we haven't put you first. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us now. Lord, we in fact want to come back to that state that we were in when we first called upon the name of Jesus. We want to be washed completely free, completely clean. We want a new day to dawn. So Jesus, right now, purify our hearts. Purge us as a lump of gold, we pray. Open our spiritual ears to hear your your lead and your guidance. Holy Spirit, would you set us free? And Lord, we choose right now as we partake 
of what you have made available. We choose to take one step at a time in obedience to your voice. Lord, we know that it's not too late. Everything that is past is covered in the blood of Christ. And right now, Lord, we know that you will multiply in us the time, the passion, the experience we need. Lord, I even pray that you would quicken our ministries to those who are called. Lord, that we would keep our eyes fixed upon you with an eternal purpose in this zero time. Thank you for your cleansing flow. Purify us now. And we ask for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you lead us and fill us so that we can shout out for joy. Let us take and eat in remembrance of what Jesus done for us, his body that was broken, that we would have freedom, forgiveness, and life here this time. Thank you. Lord, for your blood that you were shed for us. Shed once and for all. We are reminded of this and we choose to step into covenant with you right now, Lord, as we remember in this meal that we belong to you.